Capital of the world. A Smith screen. Hosey will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no regard for human life. It's the TC Martin Show. Oh! Flight nine is cleared for landing. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. And Saul says, hey, pass a big ticket. TC Martin. Oh, here comes the Birdman. Flapping his way. Soaring for a sweet flush. When you're aerodynamically designed with that hairdo, you can do those kinds of things with that sweet mohawk. The doctor is now in. Unos, dos, tres. Ole! Ole! All right, let the madness begin. That's right. NCAA tournament, the first four games happening now, underway as we speak. We've got Wichita State and Drake. Coming up here shortly, and then tonight, UCLA and Michigan State. The madness has officially begun, but tomorrow it's on for sure. Tomorrow, as we get uh, ready for, can we still call tomorrow the first round? I Is I it will, the second I, round? Let's, I can't let's look at our bracket sheets. What's it say here? Technically, yeah. So tomorrow is the first round. This is the first four that's taking place right now, the four games. So, yes. So, first round, the real deal, it starts Manana. Well, I know the NCAA hates when people say playing games, although that's what they are, and they used to call it the first round all the time. And I would always use the argument: you can't have a tournament where like sixty of the sixty-eight teams get a buy in the first round. That's that's <laughs> not a first round. Then <laughs> this is true. Yeah, so uh, tomorrow it all starts. We will be broadcasting live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas inside one of the greatest venues in town, the Chelsea. It's a great concert venue. It's a great sports venue. Uh, many World Championship boxing events have been held there with HBO and ESPN. And, of course, uh, so many uh, legendary concerts as well. Well, that will be the home for hoops and hops tomorrow. It's a tradition at the Cosmopolitan. Uh, We missed that last year. We missed everything last year, of course, with uh, no March Madness. So uh, I think uh, for me, it's starting to feel like, okay, we're back. And I think once we're broadcasting and back in that element there, it hoops and hops tomorrow, I'll say, okay, I I know we're back now. And uh, even though attendance will be limited, uh, not just the Cosmopolitan tomorrow, but uh, attendance will be limited to all of these venues where the NCAA uh, is is um, hosting these games throughout the state of Indiana, but I think when we're watching the games, we're going to feel that okay, we're we're back to some kind of normalcy. Well, and you got back to a little bit of it uh, earlier because uh, you were over there shooting a little video in the stadium seating, mm-hmm. uh, getting ready for the uh, you know the calm before the storm, so <laughs> to speak, and uh, getting ready for things there. So so yeah, for you, it definitely has to feel like it's back a little bit, and you know we'll get to uh, experience that tomorrow. And uh, you know it looks like a lot of fun, looks like a great outing. I'm just wondering. I know that uh, Double B was looking at three different menus. Did you get any say in the final menus, or is it just like uh, they're going what they're going? with and you're just going to have to wait and see exactly what it is or do you have the inside information uh i did get a chance to peek a little bit at the menu i will say boys tomorrow come hungry that's all i gotta say come hungry you will have a a, a variety of fantastic food so you'll uh you'll have some beef you'll have some chicken you even had uh, a, a little seafood venture in there as well too because it will be friday so uh, just be prepared. That's all I got to say. So yes. So what they're they're channeling their inner Wisconsin with the fish fry. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man. Uh, a couple you years miss ago, those Wisconsin fish fries, don't you? No, because you know I'm not a big fish guy, and there's the whole fish fry. I never understood. And let's be honest, people in Wisconsin, if you're from there, you've been there, whatever, you may not like what I'm about to say, but. I always felt that it's like the cheaper type of fish. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It definitely is. It's perch, and it's that kind of nonsense. No, for me, I'm not a big fish guy anyway, but if I'm going to have some fish, you know, give me some Dover sole or give me some salmon or give me something like that. Not a big fish guy, but these fish fries, to me, it's like, I don't want to say bottom of the barrel, but... 
Okay, I'll say bottom of the bear, bottom of the lake. How's that? Well, it, it, it's definitely the cheaper fish, and it's always what I always thought was funny about it too. It's always breaded or beer battered, and it's like, right. Well, that's not a healthy option. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's the whole thing. Fish fry to me, it's like, eh, you know. So a baked salmon, I'm I'm down with that. You know, I'm okay. You know, my my tastes have changed, not changed, but maybe uh, gotten a little you know broader over the years. You like like the the, the walleye pike or something like that? Nah, see the wall the walleye's a cheapo. You know, that's a that's a cheap fish. That's that's a throwback fish. I would have. And I'm not a big fishing for a while. Now right. I, you know I'm not a seafood guy. I worked in a seafood restaurant and okay. always always used to you know make a steak or a hamburger for myself. So everybody, <laughs> I mean, we had lobster, king crab legs. We had all the stuff along yeah. with. We had the pike and we had turbo and we had red snapper and you know the I mean the, the, everything was. You there. had the gamut, yeah. Yeah, from the from the bottom of the lake to the top of the lake. Yeah, I mean to yeah, the top I, of the ocean. Yeah. I mean, you know, we used to run into Chicago to the places in Chicago that had the fresh seafood and with our own truck and bring it in, and then we'd have to cut it up and all that stuff. So he he, he really uh, our owner got a lot out of us. Let me yeah. just say that for for what we made and everything. But no, but I mean, and and people would travel for miles and miles. We actually had a boat in the restaurant I used to work at with a pond with fish swimming in it. And we would do two seatings a night on that boat. Oh, that's nice. That's a nice touch. Okay. Yeah, I think you guys, again, you will. You know what the food is at the Cosmopolitan. It is fantastic. So uh, I think you'll be happy. And I think our, our listeners will be happy listening to the show tomorrow as well, too. Uh, hearing us broadcast, you know, from uh, the madness uh, with the games going on because we'll be right smack dab in the middle of, of it all. So I think it'll be a enjoyable experience uh, for us. It'll be an enjoyable experience for our listeners as well too. So make sure that that you tune in tomorrow. And again, like normally, we're at the Cosmopolitan inside the sports book where we can invite you to come on down and join us. But um, that that will not be an option tomorrow. So you're just going to have to have to listen. But yeah. we'll, we'll keep you updated on all the games. Sam Gordon will join us from the Las Vegas Review Journal. So uh, Sam will be helping us break down the brackets as well, too. But uh, two hours of nonstop hoopla talk tomorrow. Uh, a lot of fun it'll be. And they can still swing by the Cosmopolitan. Sign up for the William Hill app down oh, in the yes. Racing Sportsbook. Yes, yeah. Stop by. You might be able to say mm-hmm. hi to us or something like that and see us on the way there. So, you know, there, there's other great uh, options there at the Cosmopolitan mm-hmm. as well. So come on by and check out all that stuff. And, and, and it should a good, be a lot of fun. And, and a good point uh, that you make there so you can watch the games in the sports book for free and the other places in the cosmopolitan at click the barber shop uh several spots that, that are that are wide open for people to watch the games with and the betting stations uh will be there in the sports book and the betting stations will be uh up by us too as well on the third floor by the Chelsea as well, too. So, and it's nice to have the betting stations there, but if you get the William Hill app, the betting station's in your pocket. Say no more, Squire. There it is. It got, yes. All right. So uh, I think we'll be on our app uh, tomorrow as well, too. TC50. Yeah. TC50 is the promo code. There you go. TC50. 50 free dollars in a brand new account. So get signed up with that today. Download it on your phone. Go make your deposit. Deposit at least 50 bucks. They'll match it with another 50, but you got to use that promo code. Or if you are a rapper friend over there at the Racing Sportsbook, it would be TC Fitty. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's pick up where we left off yesterday. Today, Big Bill Cartwright's going to join us, the big seven-footer. Uh, today, we're going to take a little different approach with the seven-footer. We're going to have some fun with him today, and I know he's going to really enjoy the line of questioning where we're going to go with. Because a lot of times he'll come on and go, okay, where are you guys going to lead me? Where are we going to go today? Because, you know, it, it could be anywhere that we go with a seven-footer, whether it's NBA, it's food, it's beverage, it's cigars, it's his Cartwright family content. I mean, it's everywhere. But today we're going to talk a lot about the NCAA tournament and talk about his memories as a player that he had. And a lot of people probably don't remember this or know this, but you got to remember the seven-footer – was a college All-American for three years at USF. And they were basically the Gonzaga of today. They dominated the WCC. They were still in the WCC back in those days. And I remember 1977, they were 29-0 going to the tournament. And they were the Gonzaga, the smaller school that competed against the UCLA's, the Notre Dame's, the North Carolinas, and all that kind of stuff. So... We're going to jog his memory today about some of his great March Madness memories and moments and that sort of thing. But a lot of people just remember him for the the five titles, you know, with the Bulls, three as a player and two as a coach. And, of course, you know, being drafted in the first round by the Knicks. But before all that, the reason why he was drafted in the first round was because of his 
stellar career at USF. Well, and the other thing, too, that's going to be interesting uh, that I'm looking forward to maybe is what was it like going to USF, which maybe people don't know as well today as they did back then, but when you're the big man at the school that produced Bill Russell. Yep. There you go. Casey Jones, Bill Russell, Bill Cartwright. And basically, you know, you could say it in, in that order, maybe not even in that order, but those are the three big dogs, no doubt about it. So great stuff there. So, yeah, we'll talk to the seven-footer uh, regarding that. And, of course, get his thoughts with Gonzaga because being in the WCC and he's he's seen that program, uh, you know, so much as well, too. So we'll get his thoughts and get his bracket revealed because he's got a bracket in our contest as well, too. So, uh, yeah, a lot to do. And then uh, Chuck Esposito, our great friend over at Sunset Station, Station Casinos, uh, they're involved in the madness, and uh, you know Chuck is a huge, not just basketball fan, he's just a huge sports fan, but it'll be interesting to see who he's got winning it all, and we'll start breaking down a lot of the individual matchups and get Chuck's opinion on that. So nice little roundtable discussion that we've got today on the show all the way till 4 o'clock. But let's start with the UNLV news. We talked about it yesterday, even though we... Knew it was official, but it uh, today it is official. T.J. Otzelberger is leaving UNLV after two seasons to accept the Iowa State head coaching position. T.J. Otzelberger, 29-30 and 30 with his two years at UNLV. Career, we don't talk much about his career, 99-63, and 63, uh, including his time at South Dakota State where he resided before he got the UNLV job. So... UNLV, like I said yesterday, will be doing a coaching search for a new head coach for the fifth time in the last five years. Desiree Reed-Francois will be leading this charge. They're going to make a national search. They are starting this immediately. Let's read you some quotes from the official news uh, today. So Desiree Reed-Francois, this is her quote. She says, when our coaches are being pursued by others, it is a testament to what we are building. We appreciate Coach Otzelberger's contributions to our men's basketball program, and we wish TJ and his family all the best as they continue their journey. All right, so when you hear that, <laughs> that makes it sound like, hey, you know, we're, we're poaching UNLV because of all their success. Okay, that's a nice athletic director spin, and I really like you know Desiree Reed Francois. She's been on the show, nice lady. Thinks she's she's trying to do a, a very good job here, and she's trying to do the PR spin here. This has nothing to do with that. Okay, T.J. Altsberger would not be wanted from any other school except Iowa State because of all the time that he spent there. Now remember, he's been there uh, eight years and three different stints. Okay, for three different coaches. Greg McDermott, he was the assistant coach for, and he was one of the lead recruiters for him, as well as Fred Hoiberg and uh, Steve Prom, the coach who was just let go a few days ago after going 0-18 in conference in the Big 12 and 2-22. and But he has ties to that community, the university. His wife was a basketball player there. He has stayed friends with the athletic director there, Jamie Pollard. So this is just one of those situations that they felt, okay, here is the right guy, for our university, speaking of Iowa State, it wasn't they were poaching UNLV. They thought he did a great job at UNLV. This was a situation they need to find a coach. And to be honest, they need to find someone who could fit under their, I don't want to say salary cap, as we say in professional sports, but that's really what it is. Well, fit it, their fit budget, it, right? Yeah, fit into their budget financially. Yeah, because they, they have some issues right now. They've had some issues. Uh, they lost a lot of money during COVID, like a lot of the schools did. Uh, and then having to deal buyouts, we understand that the buyout for T.J. Otzelberger's contract to UNLV was about $3 million. So even Jamie Pollard said that, hey, we're going to have to get a little creative here. So I don't think T.J. Otzelberger is going to be making a whole bunch of more money. Now, he was the highest paid coach, which there's some controversy with that. A lot of people say, why is he the highest paid coach over guys like Leon Rice or, you know, even Dutch over at, uh, at San Diego State when this guy came from San Diego State, or rather uh, South Dakota State. That was a little perplexing, but yeah, he's making, I think, 1.1, 1.2 here at UNLV. I believe those numbers are probably a, at least, I'm thinking, $2 million at Iowa State, but it is a bump up. He's going back home. He's going to the Big 12, uh, you know, the, the Power 5 conference, and again, it, it, it's a great opportunity for him, but to think that Iowa State came after him because of his success at UNLV, that, that's not the case. No, I agree with you. They came after him because, like you said, it's familiarity. It fits in with their budget. They do think he's a good coach. 
I do think that in the back of their mind, just like they had a horrific season in basketball for the Cyclones, I think they're, they're kind of looking at, well, you know what, this was an aberration for TJ with UNLV this year as well. He lost his point guard. Some things didn't go their way. Because like you said, and you're right, her statement shows exactly what you're supposed to say and you're saying all the right things. It's March. People are going dancing. UNLV ain't going anywhere. And they haven't gone you know, dancing for you, eight plus seasons. You know, they weren't even going to get a sniff for the NIT. You know, they had to win the conference tournament to get anybody to look at them for anything. And then, of course, if you win it, then you automatically go to March Madness, the big dance. So, no, if it wasn't, if Iowa State wasn't looking for a coach, nobody else was knocking down the door, this wouldn't even be an issue. This was the one place that was looking at him. And, yeah, maybe he did do some positive things, and maybe you can throw this year away. But if it wasn't for Iowa State, T.J. Otzelberger would still be here at UNLV. Make no mistake about it. Now, the one thing when they say that they are starting the search today and they're doing it nationally. Okay, well, I hope that as soon as these rumors started that you actually started the search. Not talking with people and stuff like that. And I know, you know, we had Curtis Terry on and we talked about it and didn't want to necessarily speculate mm-hmm. on coaches, but we mentioned a couple of names because people have already been floating names out there and that. But in reality, when you heard this was going on and you knew that there was a very, very good likelihood that he was leaving, I would hope that they had started their conversations and looking at lists and that kind of stuff. Maybe not reaching out to people, but something tells me that this search actually already started about a week ago. Well, remember, we had this exact same conversation two years ago prior to them hiring T.J. Otzelberger because it took a little bit of, uh, of time and they knew they had, you know, the vacancy, they had the, you know, the interim, you know, situation, uh, you, know, you know, before going back to Dave Rice with Todd Simon and that sort of thing. And then, you know, Marvin Menzies would let go when there was a gap, you know, there wasn't an immediate hire and they wanted to really search things out. And then we find out, you know, after weeks and weeks pass, it's like, okay, we're going to start interviewing. And then they settle. On and I said settle. I mean that with T.J. Altsberg. He wasn't, you know, a, a a high price guy. He wasn't a guy that was well known. You're coming from tiny South Dakota State, where you had some success in the Summit League. Though for this conference, he was a high price guy. Yeah, he, he well, he didn't have to be, but 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 he was. Right. They, they made him yeah. a high price right, guy. Right. So again, so you're right. Now we can get into that because, like we said yesterday, don't like getting into the speculation until we know that you know the guy has moved on and he's moved on. Here is a quote from uh, Jamie Pollard, the athletic director at Iowa State. I've had a close professional relationship with TJ for many years and admire his work ethic and commitment to excellence. Having watched him grow professionally, I am convinced he is exactly what our program needs at this time. He is a natural leader who understands how to recruit to Iowa State, the values of our department, culture of doing things the right way, and employs a work ethic that rivals anyone in this business. The success and challenges he experienced at South Dakota State and UNLV prepared him to lead our program back to national prominence. So that is the statement today from Jamie Pollard as he got his man. And I'll say this again, Iowa State, talking about national prominence, they have been a national prominence. They've been a a national power. You can use that word. I mean, they've been in the NCAA tournament. I mean, you can almost pencil them in. You know, in the Big 12, they've had great teams. This year was a nightmare of a season. But again, it wasn't one of those things where they had a bunch of players quit, you know, got hit with some COVID things. But it was just they lost a whole bunch of games by close margins. I mean, they they couldn't find a way to win. When it came crunch time, they crashed. Look at all the single digit losses they have. So this is not a program that's in disarray at all. This is a program that still has some talent. Maybe not as strong as we've seen in, in years past, but they felt that, okay, anytime that you know, you're 2-22 and 22 overall and 0-18 in conference, you're going to have to make a coaching change. Even though Steve Prom was one of their guys and you know, he was an assistant along with TJ with, with you know, some of these other coaches, you just had to make that change. But again, this is not a, a high-profile name that's coming into Iowa State. It's a guy that they figure, okay, He's one of our guys. He's coming back home. He knows how to recruit this area. Very similar to what Chris Beard, when he accepted the job here at UNLV and then went to Texas Tech because he had roots there. He had been an assistant there. That was, you know, th- that was his spot. So very similar situations. And, again, it happens to UNLV when you go back. And, again, fifth coaching search in, in the last five years. Here's a uh, quote from T.J. Otzelberger. 
Hasn't done any interviews, but he did release a statement. He goes, I want to thank our student-athletes, coaches, staff, and fans for a memorable two years at UNLV and in the Las Vegas community. I especially want to thank Desiree Reed-Francois for providing me with the incredible honor of leading the Runner Rebels. These decisions are never easy, but Allison, his wife, and I are, are expected to return to Iowa State, uh, are excited to return to Iowa State, where we started our family and spent so many formative years. So there are the quotes from the parties involved. Well, and, and when you were talking about the quotes from Iowa State, I thought maybe the most important one to me was when he said he knows how to recruit here. Like you said, yeah, it is a good program, and they have had a lot of success. They also have a pretty good football team. So, you know, athletics are very important there. But it still Ames, Iowa. And you do have to know and what to sell in Ames, Iowa. And because he had success at South Dakota State, which is another place that's in the middle of nowhere, and then you go to Ames, Iowa, and you know, you're know you not even the number one dog in your state in a lot of people's mind because the Iowa Hawkeyes are, although you could say that success-wise, you know, I mean... No, they battle you know, back and forth yeah, every year. They definitely yeah. battle back and yeah. forth, you know. In all di- sports. Yeah. Different conferences, but both Power 5 mm-hmm. conferences. So I think that was a big part of it. And the other thing is, you mentioned how they're not in disarray, but people that just look at records would see that they are. That's kind of almost advantageous to him going there because... You expect there's going to be improvement. You expect that if Prom would have stayed there, there probably would have been improvement because, like you said, they lost so many close games. So it's almost a win-win, no-loss situation for him his first year coming in. You're coming after after an abysmal season record-wise, but you do have some talent there. You know the area. You already know the team and the program a little bit. You're not making a ton of money, so you know they're not going to throw that in your face or something. So it does seem like this is actually kind of a perfect storm for him to go back there. Like he said, he started his family there, his knowledge of the region and everything. I think for Iowa State, it's a good move. I just don't know where it leaves UNLV right now because, you know, this was the guy that, okay, we brought him in from South Dakota State because, you know, it's not going to be – this isn't a stepping stone for him. We're going to have him a while, and now he's already gone again. We can say all we want to. He's only gone because the one situation that would have wanted him is the place that opened up. But when you look at the big picture of it, it's still UNLV once again making a coaching search. Yeah, here we go again. And like I said, I mean, it just it, it, it's crazy. I can't think of another program that has been through this. I mean, since Dave Rice was fired midseason in 2016, uh, they thought Mick Cronin was going to be the guy, and Tina Kutzer-Murphy offered Mick Cronin the job. He accepted the job and then turned down the job when his current employer at that time, University of Cincinnati, said, well, wait a minute. You know, we've got these new facilities. We're building you new locker rooms or all this stuff. We don't want you to go. We'll give you a a pay bump. Uh, You got to stay here. And he came back and said, "Uh, I think I'm going to stay after he he accepted the job here. Then they went searching and they got Chris Beard. (laughs) They offered him the job. He accepted the job. He was hired. He was actually working out. For three weeks he, he with the players. He interviews in town. Yes. He was doing interviews yeah. with local radio yeah. stations. We, I had him on. We, <laughs> I, I spoke to him. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then three weeks later, he's gone because the dominoes fell a certain way. Like we mentioned, he got out. Tubby Smith was there at Texas Tech. He left, opened the door, and then here we go. Uh, he, went, he went there and has had great success, and we'll see him this weekend. And he had immediate success, too. Yes, and for the exact same situation. Now, I mean, he was a pretty a pretty good head coach. It is time, you know, uh, before that, okay? And, again, smaller program in Texas, and then and there they went, and then now, now he's doing his thing. So um, T.J. Otzelberg, then we got to Marvin Menzies, so he was hired. Again, Marvin was not the first choice at that point in time. My uh, Marvin was here for three seasons. Uh, then he was let go, and then of course we had uh, you know T.J. Altsberger for two years. So here we go. The process starts over again. And really, I'm just trying to jog my memory here of another program that has basically gone through five searches in five years. It doesn't mean you know five coaches in five years, but again, there were two guys. They were offered the job, and then they, they turned it down after they accepted it. Yeah, two guys that were coaches that were actually never coaches. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and, and it is strange. And, and the other thing, too, is it's like, okay, like you mentioned, when Menzies was here, well, he had different talent and was looking at a different way of building the program than TJ was. Now, 
is the coaching search going to go by the people that are here? Or what about recruits and that kind of stuff that are coming in? Or, you know, it's a, you know, we talked about he, he, he's got a point guard that, he, that TJ liked. He's got some other people. Are players staying again? Are we going to see some players maybe exit now too with, with TJ gone? Did they come here because of Otso Berger? And this is at a time when, you know, most people are already committed places, but, you know, there's still going to be some teams. You know that other coaches right now are looking at the players that UNLV does have and going, well, let's see if we can get somebody away from there or something like that because right now these kids don't even – they literally don't know well, who they're playing for. Here, here was the big problem, and, and again, I talked about this before. It's just I remember when I talked to TJ after he got the job, and he goes, yeah, he goes, i got to get my own guys in here. This is going to take a while because, again, his style was totally different than Marvin Menzies. Yep. And, you know, Marvin had some athletes, he had, he had some heights, he had some big bodies, but they didn't fit into what Otzelberger wanted to do. Otzelberger basically won four guards. You know, he wanted to you know, get one guy in the post, four guys in the perimeter, and he wanted to launch threes like he did at South Dakota State, and he really never got his guys. In his two years, he never got that. I mean, that was frustrating for him. So there were players that did not want to play for him, okay, left over from Marvin Menzies, other recruits that said, okay, I'm not going to come to UNLV now. He did bring in some guys, so it goes both ways. So you, he brought in some guys, but he also had guys leave. Right. Even guys that he brought in from year one to year two. Left. And ended up leaving, too. Right. And so there's a lot of fans out there that say, well, you know, maybe we should have uh, you know, stuck with Marvin because at least our, our talent base was better. Yes, Marvin Menzies' roster was much better than T.J. Otzelberger's roster the last two years. There's no question about that. But then, you know, this has been going in a downward spiral. And again, be careful what you wish for. Going back to the Dave Rice, you know, firing again. I mean, UNLV has not been relevant since he left. Well, and, it, and, and if you are a coach that comes in here and you do take this job now, what assurances do you want? How long do you get to build a program? Normally, it's three to four years. Right. And, and, and coaches and again, like will tell said, you four Men- to five years. And again, like we said, Menzies, some people thought was going in the right direction. After three, they said, you're gone anyhow. Right. Now, TJ left after the two, so he wasn't going to leave unless... But he, he was kind of on the hot seat. I mean, last year, okay. You know, they had a little success in the conference term, but, you know, they, they weren't a postseason team. Oh, no, no. And this year was a disappointment. Say what you want. Oh, without a Pandemic, doubt. It, this was a disappointment. It, especially the way that they lost Below so 500? Dis- absolutely. Know? And, and the, the last game to And Wy- who they lost to, too. Well, and, and the last game to Wyoming that we kind of joked about going into the Mountain West Tournament, and when I said that, well, maybe the Cowboys will use this to springboard themselves, and they actually played a couple decent games. Mm-hmm. But the lo- they had too many embarrassing losses. Yes. It seems that shouldn't have been. Yeah, they, they played Boise State and they played some of the they played some of the better teams tough here and there. Didn't necessarily mm-hmm. get the W's. But the bad losses they had were just horrific. Mm-hmm. All right. So yes, we can start throwing out coaching candidates and there are a lot of the same guys that you know, names were brought up a, a couple of years ago as well too, and we'll we'll dive into all that stuff here uh in the in the coming days and I, I don't suspect that UNLV is going to make an immediate hire. I think they're going to take their time on this. The big seven-footer? Yeah. <laughs> is, 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 is he a coaching candidate? Are you crazy? <laughs> I, I can't comment on that. Uh, <laughs> you can do it! Uh, you had to say that, didn't you? <laughs> okay. Speaking of the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright will join us when we come back. We'll talk a little March Madness, some memories. Chuck Esposito will join us next hour. It's time to get those brackets out, baby, as we dive in. T.C. Martin Show on a thunderous Thursday. Oh, a first four Thursday. This is Bill Cartwright of the University of San Francisco Dons. You're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. He does not know Westerns, but he does know his sports. I will be there to get him right as much as possible. All right, I don't know about that. I mean, he's right about one thing. You don't know Westerns. I don't know Westerns. I'm not going to claim that. But but getting me right? Getting me right? I don't know if anybody can get me right. Well, he's been trying his whole life, so (laughs) probably not. (laughs) I can't believe Nubchuck even, even put that in the system there, but... There you go. All right, so let's bring him on. The big seven-footer, the five-time NBA champion. We're talking March Madness today with the pride of USF. I'm sure he's got his green and gold. Don's on Big Bill Cartwright. What's going on, my man? 
I do. I do have my green and gold on it. By the way, I didn't even see anything about any sci-fi. Yeah, please yeah, uh, leave I, I that can, one alone. Yeah, see, there, there you go. So it's not like you're, you know, need help in a, a few different areas. But as long as you're good with the sports, I guess uh, I guess you're safe. As long as it's not a, a book about sports, because he's not going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does that. We so can edit that down a little bit, and that magazine. So he's good. He's covered. Well, you got me down pretty good, huh? There you go. I mean, jeez. <laughs> and the beauty part is that I now now I have help. Yeah, you got you got a bunch of allies right now. You know, you got a bunch of allies. Guys, just want to go ahead and just pile on. That's it. In, 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 enjoy. And is, is it true? We're coming to the end of the Cartwright Family Contest. It's finally we we've done a year of this, and you're going to end it, and you're going to end it on which note? We're going to end it on a note that you um, would love to talk about, and I would be really curious about it. And that is, which is the greatest romantic movie of all time? Wait, 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 wait a minute. Where are we going? I mean, we've had some horrendous categories here, but we're going. We're ending the contest on romantic movie. And what's going on here? Are you forgetting who your audience is here? We're guys, man. We're guys. You know? There's men. Sports talk. I mean, who are you talking to here? Your sisters again? Are they dominating the contest? Do you ever have a say in your own categories? You you better wake up what's going on in the world, pal. <laughs> Women are dominating. So you better get on board. Love stories, pal. Love, get on it. Do, do you have a favorite a love story movie? Come on. Are you kidding me? You know, my daughter's favorite is love and basketball. And, you know, my daughter's pretty bright, so I'll, I'll just stick with her. Does that count, love and basketball? Does that really count as far as a, a love story? I understand, like, you know, love story, the way we were, or, uh, you know, Titanic, I guess, is a love story, even though it's a tragedy, right? I don't know. I'm just rifting off the top of my head here. But does that make sense? Love and basketball? I think I've never seen that movie. It was all right. That's okay. Of course, that's my daughter's favorite movie. So, uh, you know, unless you have a great one, I mean, you would probably say Casablanca. Yeah, you, yeah, you know me. Try. I'd say that. Jeez. Yeah, I don't know. I'd. Uh, was there a love story? Uh, There's a love uh, angle there in Pulp Fiction, wasn't there? There it is. Yeah, you know, me, John Travolta, and yeah. Mia Wallace. Yeah, whose motorcycle is this at the end? Zed is dead, baby. Yeah, we got that one too, with Bruce Willis. <laughs> there you go. Oh, jeez. Crazy yeah, stuff, man. Yeah. There you go. But uh, but at the end of it, the contest was outstanding. And, uh, you know, we appreciate everybody for participating. And uh, as you know, uh, to your chagrin, my, my sisters, which there's six of them, played a pretty big voice uh, in on the contest. They had a lot of influence. But, uh, you know, what do you want me to do? I mean, uh, you know, a lot of the guys wouldn't participate in, in some of the but, but the sisters never let me down. So there you go. All right. Keep it in the family, man. No problem. All right, man. Uh, so did you finally get your brackets all figured out? I've never seen a guy struggle so much with getting his brackets into the system here. I, did, did you get? Did you submit? Are, are you good to go? I'm, I'm, I'm done with my bracket now. Uh, an old school bracket, uh, you know, you can make your own bracket and uh, send it to me. I could have got it to you like right away, but no, we got to use all this technology and stuff that that doesn't work. <laughs> and uh, uh, it was it was a nightmare, but uh, but I got through it. Uh, I, I would only do that for you. Uh, I would have gotten rid of that thing uh, the first try out. But. Oh, and I felt your frustration. I had to walk this guy how to put his, his brackets in over the computer. And what's he doing? He's blaming technology. How about operator error or operator insufficient uh, on how to uh, maneuver a computer? Uh, why don't you bl- look in the mirror and blame yourself? Why are you bra- blaming technology? I'm not blaming technology. I'm just blaming nonsense. I mean, look, what, what was wrong with what we were doing uh, before all this computer garbage? What we do, we do our own brackets. I, w- I would get them to you. Uh, I could probably scan it to you uh, in, 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 in about two minutes. But, no, we couldn't do it that way. We had to go some uh, the route. So um, that's all I'm saying. 
Okay, man. Well, nothing wrong. All right, so you got your bra- you got your bracket in. Uh, we're just di- we're we're dying to know. Okay, uh, give me your final four. Who's cutting down the nets? No, I'm not giving you my final four. But, <laughs> what? But no, I'm not giving it to you. But uh, I, I give you some teams that, uh, of course, I'm really curious about, and one of them is, of course, in our conference, Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Uh, who should be the favorite for a lot of reasons, mainly the experience. Um, they're probably the most experienced team in the tournament and have been there before. Um, and then they should know what to anticipate. Uh, the other one is Illinois, who's played great this year. Um, they can score inside and out. And, and naturally, them and uh, Michigan. But the team that, uh, you know, uh, that I'm pulling for, uh, that I would like to see do really well is, of course, Georgetown, which has two of my former teammates, Patrick Ewing, Louis Orr. Right. Guys who are just great, great guys and would really deserve a big run in the tournament. So I'm very excited to watch. See, there's going to be a, a great tournament. Uh, so it's going to be fun. I, I think you gave us our Final Four. Now, if you don't want to give me – you know, the Final Four for whatever odd reason. I mean, why deprive our listeners? I mean, everybody gives their Final Four. Our listeners want to hear who the big seven-footer is. They might want to take your advice, and you're depriving them of this secrecy? That's not right. Well, what they should do, understand, is that I, I never do well anywhere. So they should, <laughs> they should, whatever I pick, they should go against and, and not even pick it. But... Uh, but I've already given you the teams I like. Isn't that enough? That's it. Whatever. He can't even tell us who, who's going to win the tournament. So you're kind of like saying like how ESPN has their play of the day, but then on Friday they have the not top ten. You're you're wanting Bills not not final four. <laughs> I don't I don't know what exactly. we're doing here. <laughs> Unbelievable. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's do this, man. Uh, let a lot of people may not remember or know they know you for. Your five rings with the Bulls, three as a player, two as a coach, of course being drafted by the Knicks in the first round. But you know those old school guys will remember you having a great college career at USF and you know one of the greats ever to come out of USF. And I want to go back with you and, and talk about that time and, and what March Madness means for you because at this point in time when you were playing in the late 70s, that San Francisco, USF, they were the Gonzaga of today. You guys were in the WCC, just like they am, and you guys were the smaller school that were playing and knocking off national powerhouses. You guys were playing UCLA, Notre Dame, North Carolina, all these big schools. So if we turn back the clock, you know, 30-plus years, I mean, you went through that and lived through that, and USF was a national power. I remember... In 77, you guys were 29-0 and 0 on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Still remember this. I think it was called the Dandy Dons. I think it, in your mug was, was right there on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean, you guys were it. You guys were the Gonzaga. And uh, now to, you know, to see where Gonzaga is, it, it just goes to show you that, you know, I mean, how this has almost kind of come full circle with the WCC. Yeah, those were great times, uh, and we were uh, the power in that league uh, for the first three years. Been my first year, we ended up losing to Dennis Johnson and Marcus Laite. Uh, that Pepperdine group that was really good, and that year we went to the NIT uh, to lose only to lose to Corbett Maxwell's team in Madison Square Garden. So uh, that was a great lesson. But yeah, my first my sophomore year. Uh, after the Hawaii tournament, we came back with the number one team in the country. We were all really surprised. Uh, it was a great run. Uh, we had a lot of great games. Uh, myself went for Boyens. Um, James Hardy. Uh, you know, we had a really good team. Chubby Cox. Uh, it was great. Marlon Redmond, Rod Williams, Eric Gilbert. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, it was it was a special, special time. But the bottom line is that, and what it always comes back to, is that uh, we did lose our last two games of the year. We lost Notre Dame and Notre Dame. And uh, unfortunately, and I don't know how this could possibly happen, we ended up playing UNLV. Right. <laughs> and, they, and, they, and they were a great team, loaded, um, 
Um, you, we couldn't believe how, how good of a scoring team that was. Do you remember the score then, of that game? I think a lot of Rebel fans remember that score. Do, do you remember it? No, as you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a score guy. <laughs> it was like 100, 101 to seventy five or something like that. And, and again, it was, it was yeah, crazy. it was bad. But again, the, the next couple of years, you guys went to the Sweet Sixteen right after that. So uh, you, you had a lot of success. You know, with well, look, we did we did have a lot of success, but we had a lot of talent. And you know, what comes out of that is that you know we we uh, we, we played well. I, I thought that we really represented the school well. Uh, but ultimately, one team can win. Um, you know, the NCAA when you play in a tournament represents you play against teams that you don't know very well. You're not as confident as again. You know, you don't know the coach that well. You don't know the players that well. And we just never played well in NCAA, and it was really disappointing. I mean, we should be happy um, with our college careers, but we're, we're not satisfied with that because, frankly, we were better than that. And I've, I've always thought that we underachieved, even though we had great records, we um, we won a lot of games, we won the conference every year except for my first one. Uh, we dominated the conference, uh, but we never um, – Got to a Final Four. We never won a championship. Uh, so it's not that it was a failure, but but for me it was a it was a definite disappointment. One twenty one to ninety five. That you guys got ninety five against UNLV. Wait, you gave up one twenty one. Horrible, horrible. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that team was crazy, man. That team is. I think it was Sam and Robert Smith. I remember yeah. Sam Smith bringing the ball over. He must have shot a, a 30-foot shot. I thought he was making a pass. Shot it and made it. And that set the tone for the game. It was like, holy smokes. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But uh, but they they were by far the uh, the best team we had seen all year. And we get that in the first round. So we really didn't understand that. We didn't definitely didn't deserve that. Uh, but uh, it is what it is. But like I said, our bottom line because I felt that we were good enough to win a uh, NCAA championship. It was really disappointing. You mentioned how you're watching Georgetown in this tournament coming up, and certainly that's a school known for their big men. But when you went to San Francisco, was there excitement or was there maybe a little bit of nerves going to a school that was also known for their big men with a guy like Bill Russell going there? So was that one of the reasons you went there because of Russell, or was it a little bit more pressure playing at the school where he went to? No, there was no pressure with that. If, if anything, it was more excitement because you knew that you can do it. And, um, you know, and I remember, you know, the guys that really recruited me were the guys that were there. There were guys like uh, uh, Kevin Rostani, uh, Phil Smith, Eric Furston, all those guys played in the NBA. And, and, and look, um, USF uh, was the Gonzaga of, of the then WCAC, now the WCC, since... I went there, and that was in 1976, but they had always won that conference since 1949. Right. <laughs> 1949. So this was, you know, we weren't doing anything special winning, winning the league because we had won the league since 1949 when, when they won the NIT. We were just upholding tradition that had already been there, already established. Uh, there's there's lists of of, of hundreds of really good uh, of players um, who went to USF and uh, uh, rep- represented the school really well. So uh, and just understanding that we were just proud to be there and and uh, like I said, we did a great job representing the school and uh, had a lot of great games, but we never got to. Uh, you know, we're that Russell team where we can win 60 games, <laughs> win two championships. Now you're doing something special. All right, the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, talking about uh, March Madness when he was there at USF, uh, just great teams that they had there. Uh, talk a little bit about the excitedness. Like you said, you know, you were excited about going to USF, but talk about for these like young kids and what it was like for you going to an NCAA tournament, maybe for the first time. And then even as you advanced and you were going to the sweet 16 and you're playing these national powerhouses. And again, you guys were a national powerhouse, number one team in the country at that time. But just talk about 
that as a 18 or 19 year old kid who's coming in and, and on the grandest stage at that point in time, what's it like? Well, I, I think now it's a little bit different because, uh, you know, we were not um, on TV. Uh, I mean, they have a, a high school teams on, on TV now, and, and these guys get press, great press through the media. Uh, some of them generate their own press, but uh, like right now, um, Texas Southern is playing Mount St. Mary's right now, and uh, that certainly wouldn't be on in, in my time. So uh, it's, it's 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 a different era, and I think these kids uh, um, handle this a lot better because they have been on TV and at some kind of level. Uh, so now, to me, it's up to them to be able to play this style of basketball. Um, and and win games, and a lot of it comes down to uh, teams that have the uh, juniors and seniors on their team, especially at the tournament. When you see these, uh, um, you know, small D one schools winning games, and it's going to continue every year because they do have seniors and juniors on the team, and uh, uh, turnovers are a big part of the game, and playing under pressure and having some great composure. So uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And you'll see, you'll see, we, we all know there's going to be some upsets that are going to go on. And a lot of it's going to come down to decision-making that happens on the floor. Um, so to me, that's, that's a big part of it right now. When you talk about the juniors and seniors on teams, is that something to look for maybe even a little bit more in this year's tournament than in the tournaments of the past because of all the COVID issues and teams not playing as many games and not playing as many out-of-conference games? Can that junior and senior leadership mean even maybe more? Because usually at this time of year we say that the freshmen aren't freshmen anymore, but for some of the teams the freshmen maybe are still freshmen. Well, you know, I mean, let's look at it. And TCU and I talked about it when, uh, you know, when, when you have teams great, teams like uh, uh, Kentucky and, and, and Duke, and Duke when, when Zion was there, uh, those guys didn't go to the Final Four, and they have three first-round draft picks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your, your, your older guys, uh, their poise, their decision-making, their ability to execute, uh, both ends of the floor is is crucial at that point in time because you know an empty possession is just what it is. It's the empty possession. It's it, you know the worst thing that happens at a basketball floor is that you don't get a shot. If you get a shot, you got you can rebound it. Maybe you got a foul. Maybe something positive happens. But if you turn the turn the ball over, uh, that's that's just zero. So uh, to me, that's what it's all about. And the teams that can execute, of course, the teams at this point in time always that can stay healthy, and the teams that have been playing well. That's why I'm kind of intrigued to watch Georgetown since they have been playing well. And you can look at it. You can see the teams that maybe have won their last four or five or six straight games going into the tournament. That's a lot of momentum. So, Bill, I want to touch on that. You mentioned, you know, your your buddies and your, a couple of your teammates there, Patrick Ewing and Louis Orr, over at Georgetown. UNLV going through another coaching change here again, and there's always the conversation now that we know that T.G. Altsberger <laughs> is gone. That okay, who is UNLV's next head coach going to be? And a lot of universities are a little bit hesitant about not hiring someone that has previous head coaching experience at the collegiate level. And I guess that is because, okay, the recruiting and all that sort of thing, that's usually the big conversation. You've been in those conversations. We've talked about this before. But you mentioned, look at Patrick Ewing, the success that that he's had there. Never been a college head coach before. Jawan Howard at Michigan with the number one seed and what they're doing. And these guys have have just turned it around and and taken their programs to the tournaments in, in year one, year two, I mean, immediately. Give us your thoughts about a former player like yourself, Patrick Ewing, Jawan Howard, guys who spent some time coaching at the NBA, whether it was as an assistant coach, uh, about their, I guess, validity to be a successful college head coach and how come more athletic directors won't take shots on former NBA guys or assistants at the NBA level? Well, it's, it's fear. It's fear. and it's playing it safe. So, look, 
a, a lot of ADs, they don't, they're not basketball people. They, they go by what they, somebody's opinion and what they hear and what's safe. And look, you know, and I can't blame them. They, they, they've got their, uh, uh, Jobs on the line, so they so they don't want to make a mistake. Uh, you know, it'll it's, it'll take somebody really special, like at Michigan, and like at Georgetown, where you have a president or AD that has faith in that player. Or I'm sorry, in that coach to hire them, and it's and it's because it's out of, it's out of the norm. So the, the safe thing to do is to go get somebody who's, who was already in another program and and hire them. I mean, we know that. Uh, the the dangerous thing would be is to get a NBA guy, which is bizarre to me because I've all you know I've, I've coached with a lot of different guys. If you're a coach, you're a coach. I don't care where you coach, NBA, college, high school, rec league. You're a coach. That's what you do. So, uh, but in order for that to happen, you need somebody special. You need somebody that has a vision, somebody that has a shared vision with, with you of winning and how you're going to do it. And uh, both those guys were lucky to, to have those people in their organizations. And it's worked out really well. But, you know, coaching anywhere, coaching in college, it's really competitive. It's hard. Uh, you got to be a little bit lucky. So, um, I don't know. It's it's really tough. And also, let's consider this: there's there's some teams. I'm sorry. There's some schools that they don't mind finishing just okay. You know, you won 18 games. You won 19 games. 20. They're good um, because it's their own lack of vision to understand uh, that they can make a next step, but maybe they don't believe it. So. Um, like I said, it, it, it will take somebody who's got a who's got a vision, somebody's got a belief, uh, somebody's a little bit different, different than the norm. That's going to hire an NBA guy, and uh, luckily, uh, Patrick had uh, John Thompson um, at Michigan. I think that um, I think that he was already coaching and assistant somewhere, so he had that advantage. So it's, uh, but uh, but it's going to take somebody special. All right, Bill. Real quick, we got to get running here. But uh, on Gonzaga, and again, know that team very very well. What type of team could maybe get to Gonzaga, give them trouble matchup wise or whatever that uh, that could maybe knock them out earlier than expected? Just like all these teams, just like pressure, and it, it's always going to come from someplace where. Somebody's going to have a big game. There's going to be some foul trouble. Um, somebody's going to come off the bench, and all of a sudden, boom, they got 10 points. Uh, somebody's going to throw a zone, and then all of a sudden they can't make a shot. But it's never something big. It's always something little, something funky. You get off to a bad start. Gonzaga's uh, been, I, I tell you what, they've been great all year as far as uh, playing in those type of games where it's been close at halftime. And then somehow they've been able to make a break. Lastly, when they played against BYU, BYU had them on the ropes. They hung in, fought, fought. They shot terrible, and then finally, boom, they broke through, and they ended up beating them. So, uh, are they beatable? Yeah, they're really beatable. But they they play great this year. You got to give them credit. Yeah, no doubt. You got to give them all love and what they've they've accomplished. All right, brother. Thanks a lot. Uh, we'll keep an eye on your bracket, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Great stuff. All right. Very good, guys. Enjoy it. There he is. Big Bill Cartwright, the pride of USF. Some uh, NCAA tournament memories for himself from the NBA champion. All right. When we come back, Chuck Esposito will join us on the other side. We start breaking down the matchups. We'll get you updated on what's happening in day one of the first four. Can hardly wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow.